thinking that the first time I stepped into this pulpit, we had just moved here from Minnesota. And I've forgotten which elder it was now said, uh, don't be distracted by the alligator. What? The alligator? But as I've uh, said a couple of times, it turns out that the alligator is reformed. He's in the process of sanctification. So I I think we're okay. Uh, We do indeed pray for Pastor Patrick and for Rachel. Uh, Grieved that Rachel couldn't actually attend the um, graduation, but uh, maybe we can do something special for her when she comes back. Also, Gene and I won't be here next weekend. I've been invited to speak to a national gathering of scientists who are Christians. Uh, And so I'm going to be talking to them about COVID. And lastly, we do covet your prayers for our middle son, Eric, who uh, Monday was deployed. He's in the Air Force. So uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful experience in Philadelphia. After four long years of work, it was good at the age of almost 67 to not have homework each night. Finally, I'm just a slow learner, I guess. And uh, praise God for it. Uh, It was a wonderful experience. and, And I have to say, many wonderfully and beautifully written cards that you all sent. Thank you. You are a a loving congregation and an encouraging one, and, and you should know that. And I have a feeling why that might be. <laughs> you have a loving and encouraging founding pastor. Can you imagine that Pastor John, what, two weeks or so after hip surgery, got in a car and drove two days there and two days back to watch us graduate. That is profound to me, John. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this morning we're going to examine another amazing story that God has given us in his word. If you would, turn to Luke and we'll go to the 17th chapter. You might wonder, why does this guy preach from Luke all the time? Well, he was a physician, too, and so I feel a a certain kinship to him. So we'll go to Luke chapter 17 and verse 11 through 19. So on the way to Jerusalem, so remember, he is headed to Jerusalem for what he understands will be the crucifixion. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, He was met by ten leopards who stood at a distance and lifted their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Interesting that they said that. Not touch me and heal me, but have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith, your faith 
has made you well. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord does indeed abide forever and ever. So ten lepers, ten men with the technical medical term is Hansen's disease. It's a nasty, horrible disease. I've made the diagnosis three or four times in my career. Each time it sort of shocks you because of the emotional impact that we're raised with when we think of leprosy. My secretary was always afraid I would catch the disease and more afraid that I would spread it to her (laughs) by the things I touched and that she touched. It doesn't work that way. It's an infectious disease that's caused by a bacteria much like tuberculosis. It might surprise you to learn that about 200 new cases of leprosy are diagnosed each year in the U.S., probably an underestimate. Here in Florida, the number of cases has tripled in recent years. In 2015, nine nine cases were diagnosed in just one month. Do you know how it's primarily spread down here? Armadillos. So don't play with armadillos. Don't touch them. (laughs) Armadillos carry the disease, and of the last 52 people diagnosed with leprosy here in southeast, um, sorry, southwest Florida, 22 had the strain that comes from armadillos. The problem with leprosy, and every time I say leprosy, maybe in your mind translates sin. The problem with leprosy is that it affects the nerves, the sensory nerves. You become numb. Or anesthetic, and you can't feel anything. And isn't that a wonderful picture of what sin does to us? We stop feeling the effects of sin. We stop appreciating or understanding the effects of sin on other people, including our community and our families. Because of that, you get lots of little cuts and traumas that you're not aware of, and they get infected. And gradually, the flesh of the hands, the ears, the nose, the feet, rots away. The last patient I saw with this disease was an attorney. He had leprosy involving the skin of his chest, his abdomen, and his nose. In fact, when I examined him, he had about a dime-sized hole between the interceptum of of his nose. And he was completely unaware of that. He was unaware that he was going to lose his nose. I was privileged in the 1990s to hear Dr. Paul Brand speak at a Focus on the Family medical conference. Dr. Brand spent his life ministering to uh, lepers and attending to their medical needs. And he wrote a book, which uh, the title, once I tell you, I've never forgotten, and you will probably never forget. And it was called The Gift of Pain. The gift of pain. Did you ever think of pain as a gift? I've just been through a siege of uh, sciatica, and I didn't think of it as a gift. But do you realize that if you never felt pain, you wouldn't know that you had developed uh, appendicitis, or that you had had a heart attack, or a, a nod to one of our dentists back there. You would never know that you were having a tooth abscess until it was too late. Or even know whether what you're about to touch is too hot. If you don't feel pain, it turns out, you die. 
One person with the congenital inability to feel pain called it the agony of not feeling pain. And indeed, it turns out that pain is a gracious gift from a gracious God. He created us to feel it. Well, in biblical times, you knew that a leper was nearby. The first clue is that they were required, and as the scripture says, to be at a distance and to yell out, unclean, as a way of warning others. The second was the overpowering smell. The smell of rotting and decaying flesh is the one smell I never got used to in my career. It is terrible. And the appearance of somebody with advanced leprosy is pretty grotesque and hideous, often with missing fingers, ears, and toes. Think of the emotional pain. In those days, leprosy was a physical and emotional death sentence. Once the rash of leprosy became apparent and you went to the priest, you were immediately, completely, and forever separated from your family and from society. Forever. No goodbye kiss to your family. You were immediately removed outside of the village. You lived on the fringes. You had to announce your your presence by yelling because it was thought to be that infectious. It's not, but it was thought that way. You were prohibited from being in any public setting. Imagine sending your child away because of a skin disease, never to see him or her again. They would never marry, never have children, never be loved, never experience. And some of you may have been this way during COVID who missed the touch of another human being. It turns out that God really did create us for a community. And I I often feel sorry when I, as Gina and I have been embraced by, by this congregation, I feel sorry for those who are not here in church with us, who are missing what God created us for, which is community that praises Him and glorifies Him. The Jews considered leprosy a divine judgment against a person for their sins. And so in Luke, we read that as Jesus was walking toward Jerusalem, he was met by ten lepers, quote, at a distance, who, quote, lifted up their voices, which means yelled, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And from this point on, several amazing things happen in this passage. In direct answer to their plea, Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, recognize what this was. Jesus was testing their faith. And for those of you that are really good in the bulletin insert, there are three questions there. See if you can, by the end of this, fill in the blanks. So he was testing their faith. Were they just asking for favors or did they have faith? to do what he asked of them. Jesus asked them to go as if they were already healed, even though nothing yet had changed. But in obedience, they turned and went. The reason Jesus said this was immediately obvious to the lepers, but perhaps not to us as modern-day readers. As I said, the priests acted as the final decision-makers 
on a disease that was thought to defile a person and make them impure. And so, like a physician today or a public health officer, the priest would examine someone with a rash and decide whether it was leprosy, and if so, impose the life sentence that such a diagnosis would bring. The Bible says in Leviticus 13.8, And the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. Later in Leviticus 13.44, we read this. He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him utterly unclean. His disease is on his head. It was also the priest who would decide whether somebody had been cleansed and could rejoin society. So these ten lepers must have been encouraged or, or, or were they discouraged to hear him say those words. Otherwise, why would he send them to the priests? And then the narrative says this surprising thing. As they went, they were cleansed. What? As they went? What does this mean? Jesus tells them to go to the priests, and as they turn and go, they're healed. I mean, try to imagine this. They turned from Jesus and began walking together. This ragtag group of ten people with one of the most disfiguring diseases you could imagine. As they're walking away, one of them feels a strange sensation. He realizes and, and looks down. He can feel the ground beneath his feet. He has toes again. Another notices that, that smell of rotting flesh. It's, it's gone. And his hands without fingers? Unbelievably, now he has all his fingers. And the one missing his left leg below the knee with a filthy rag wrapped around it, his leg was restored. He could actually run and walk again. I mean, they must have been beside themselves. How could this even be possible? They must, I imagine in my head, they must have yelled at the top of their voices, look at me, look at me, as they tore off these filthy rags and looked incredulous at their healed skin. But then we read that one, one of them who was healed turned back and Scripture says, praising God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Remember the Greek word for thanks and praise is Eucharisto. It wasn't just thanks, it was praise with a capital P. So one turned back falls at Jesus' feet, praises him for his healing. And that one was what, according to Scripture? A foreigner. What does he mean there, a foreigner? It says he's a Samaritan. Why, why is it important that the person is a Samaritan? The reason for it is Samaritans, or in the Hebrew, shamronim, is a word meaning guardians or keepers or watchers of the law or Torah. This is because they felt that they and only they had the pure Jewish, Jewish religion. So, so don't feel that. Even in the beginning, denominations were sorting themselves. The Jews despised the Samaritans, who they considered themselves to be defiled and impure for their apostasy. They were considered foreigners in their own countries. And they were not well treated by the Jews. 
And so that's why Scripture includes what seems like an unimportant point or interruption. So this leper was, to the original listeners of this, doubly unclean. He was not only a leper, but he was a Samaritan. So he had two things against him. Amazingly, though, it's this foreigner, this Samaritan, who turns back to Jesus, who is a Jewish rabbi, knowing that Jews despised people like him. And rather than running to the priest to be declared cure, rather than running to his wife and children so he could scoop them up in his arms and hug them and kiss them, instead he stopped and he turned and he ran to Jesus. And he fell at his feet, praising him. Next, Jesus asks, where are the other nine who were healed? He's making the point clearly of their ingratitude. And that's a, that's a sin we don't talk about too much. Pastor John was just saying, in, in every part of our day, even yesterday and Friday in the midst of, what did we get, six, seven inches of rain, that's a praise, that's a gift from God. And to be ungracious and to not be uh, thankful for what we get, we often rush on giving no praise while pleading for the next favor or goodie. They are like those in Romans one twenty one. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And then finally, Jesus says to the healed one, rise and go your way, your faith. I mean, I, I can hardly imagine how the original listeners heard this. Your faith has made you well. Wait a minute. This is an unclean Samaritan. This is somebody who's uh, an apostate. This is, this is unbelievable. What does he mean that his faith has made him well? Well, you see, the point being made is that this man was truly healed, just like we are. In this case, not just of his skin disease, but of his sin disease, of his emotional trauma, of all the injustices he had suffered of the malnutrition, all the horrible things his body had suffered. But most importantly, he was spiritually healed. The word for it is saved. But the other nine, they were merely cleansed of a skin disease. Because you notice what the scripture says. Cleansed. They were not spiritually healed. Some of you, I think, are from North Carolina. Maybe you've heard this story. Back in 1996, a pastor by the name of Jack Hinton from New Bern, North Carolina, was leading worship at a leper colony on the island of Tobango. There was time for one more song, so he asked if anybody had a request. And a woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around. And this is his quote. It was the most hideous face I had ever seen. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. The disease had destroyed her lips. She lifted a, a fingerless hand in the air and asked, Can we sing, count your many blessings? A story that like that 
makes me sad at my own small faith. Do I have that kind of attitude? Do any of us? Am I the one who was thankful? Or am I one of the nine who ran on ahead thinking only of myself and ignoring the very one who had healed me? So we see some critical lessons from this short passage. Number one, leprosy here is a metaphor for sin. We are, in a way, spiritual lepers who stand far off from Jesus. That is, we're separated from him because of our sin disease. We shout out for his mercy and his cleansing from the sin disease that is disseminated throughout our bodies and for which no natural cure exists. Only a supernatural cure available through Christ. But because of our sin disease, we feel like we can't approach God. We're numb to the seriousness of our sin. And that's why we need Jesus to cover or heal our sin and cleanse us. But the Samaritan, he is also a picture of us. Foreigners prior to our justification to God. People who are unclean, not because of our skin disease, but again, because of our sin disease. The other nine, they apparently were Jewish, like Jesus, because Jesus caused only the one, this foreigner. Yet God heals both the nine Jewish and the one Samaritan without distinction. God loves all who are his. He heals all who come to him. And it's worth contemplating just how far, wide, and deep the love of Christ is. And, and note the major point of this story that really perhaps only those who were reformed really grasp in its totality. The leper did what to deserve healing? Nothing. Nothing. Just like us. We did nothing to earn our healing and our salvation. The Samaritan's thankfulness is also an exemplar for our own faith. He runs back, Scripture says, and falls at the feet of Christ and praises Him. He knew he didn't deserve anything from this Jewish rabbi. But he doesn't just want physical healing. He got that. He wants to be spiritually healed too. And he goes to the only source for that kind of salvific healing. We're wise to learn this lesson in our own lives, aren't we? He literally falls on his face and worships Christ. John MacArthur makes an important observation here. Most Bible translators take the Greek word for healed and translated it, he has made you well. Everybody was made well. All ten were made well. But the verb used in this parable is not the word for healed. It's not the word for cleansed. It's the word sozo, which is the word for salvation. And doesn't that just kind of pull back the curtain and shine a light on this story? He wasn't healed. He was saved in the fullness of the term. <clears throat> the one leper was not only healed, but was saved. And as a result, Jesus clearly says what? Your faith 
has made you well or your faith has saved you. What kind of faith is he talking about here? Well, the text and the meaning are are very clear. It's the kind of faith that makes you turn when Jesus says, turn and go and begin walking to the priests who, after all, were the very ones that imposed that life-death sentence on you when you had that rash. Even when it seemed hopeless, they obeyed. Even though nobody they knew had ever been healed of this horrible disease, they obeyed the Master. And He calls us to that kind of faith, the kind of faith that makes us want to obey, even when in our own human estimation it seems hopeless and maybe even foolish. Now, as a physician, I I know the human condition, and I know that even right now, some of you may be in that situation where maybe life seems hopeless or out of control, where worry and fear consume us. The lessons of faith, brothers and sisters, is clear here. Despite seemingly impossible circumstances, Jesus asks, will you walk with spiritual eyes of faith? Do you love me and actually have faith in me that allows you to reflexly obey my voice? I hope I can encourage you by this lesson. Jesus knows what's happening in each of our lives. And even though your circumstances may feel helpless, dark, impossible, he's in control. He's there. He's going to do the very best possible thing for you. What does Romans 8.28 tell us as believers? All. And the Greek word means everything in totality. All things work together for good for those who are called by him. The psalmist says in chapter 30, verse 2, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Obedience and trust, even in the face of what seems like a hopeless situation, is the very situation that requires faith. In Matthew 8, 1 through 4, we read of another leper. Scripture says, a leper came to him, that is Jesus, and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And probably for all of us, but particularly for a physician, we read, Jesus stretched out his hand and he did what? Touched him. Who could believe that in those days? That you would touch a leper saying, I will be clean. And immediately, Scripture says, he was cleansed. Jesus reached out and touched a man no one in their right mind would ever, under any circumstances, touch. Whose flesh was rotting and where the stench was overpowering. When everybody else ran from the leper and You've often seen it portrayed through stones at the leper to drive them away from their presence. Jesus does the opposite. He reaches out and touched him. And the reason God includes this is to make the point of his profound love for you and for me. 
He reaches out to touch us with our dark and dirty, sinful hearts and minds, with the stench of our hypocrisy and self-righteousness and the hideousness of our daily abandonment and betrayal of Him who created us. And yet, He reaches out to touch us. You see, there's nothing about you or me, despite all that is depraved and diseased in us, that dissuades Him from reaching His hand out to touch us. There's no disease that you can have. There's no decision that you've made that has scarred and deformed you or me such that Jesus won't reach out and touch us when we truly repent and turn from our sin. No sin has made you forever unlovable in His eyes. In fact, He longs to touch you, to restore you and to redeem you with His atoning sacrifice. And I can think of nothing more awesome in all of creation that makes me more thankful than this simple fact. He reached out His hand and He touched me and He touched you. So why is this story in the Bible? We're told in Scripture that all the books in the world couldn't hold all the deeds and sayings of Christ. But this one got included. Why? What lessons can we learn? Well, I've identified about 24 here. No, it's just five or six. And you probably have a few too. First, we have spiritual leprosy, a disease that makes us numb to God and to His plan. That is, if we're not believers. And a disease that gradually, like leprosy, robs us of life itself. Second, Jesus asks us to believe in Him by faith, even when we cannot see why we should. Like the ten leopards, lepers, He asks us to go. And healing occurs when we obey. The third, until we obey, we miss His healing in our lives. The lepers were not healed until they turned, as I said. And fourth, there's no disease, no sin that God will not forgive. If we confess our sin, turn away from our sin, undergo His regeneration, and accept the free gift of redemption. Fifth, like a leper, we won't feel what God has planned for us until our spiritual numbness is healed. And only Christ can do that. And lastly, and most importantly, our healing, our salvation comes by God's grace. We and the lepers do nothing to deserve our healing. And that is what should make us fall on our faces and praise God. So in your private and family devotions this week, consider what Christ has done for us. Consider what thankfulness we owe Him. Consider that He covered up our sin disease with His blood. Thank You, Lord, for the one man who ran back, healed of his disease and his sin, saved from judgment and saved from hell because he obeyed and turned and embraced you as Lord and God. Lord, I pray that will happen today even in the hearts of those who do not yet know you and of their need to be truly healed. Lord, I pray that you're at work in every one of our hearts as I know you are and that you will cause us to be grateful for your mercy and your forgiveness, for your healing and for the incredible gift of grace. 
And we pray that you will convict those who are not yet saved and cause them to be drawn irresistibly to you. May many sinners, even today, turn and run to you, falling at your feet and praising you. Amen. I forgot my bulletin. Is there one more hymn? Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor. Would you stand with me? We'll conclude our, our time here this morning. Jesus paid it all. Brothers and sisters, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go now, each of you, into your mission field, recognizing that we live before the very face of God. Bless you all. Amen.